0: Welcome, Welcome to
1: the, to the Recombobulator, Recombobulator Lab with, with Jason, Jason Graham and Chris Dominic. Christopher John Dominic, Christopher James Dominic. Okay, you know better
2: than that. Really? Yeah. Christopher Christopher Heysu. Christopher Heysu Dominic. Don't don't you be Johnning or heysoing me? Really? No. Uh, no. Although. I will say every once in a while, what will happen is I will I will ha- be in one of those systems that's Christopher Joseph Dominic, which is a lot of words, right? It's a lot of letters. Mm. And what it will do is it will cut me off at C H R I S T. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, that's a it's an awkward moment. It's an awkward moment. Yeah. I'm not even going to say it because it just feels funny. You know, it's like okay, I'm not. Yeah. That's not my fault, folks. I promise. Anyway, Jason, I have been thinking about it. I did some reading up on Leslie McKenzie. I am really excited to meet her today really yeah why why are you hesitating like that what's going on <laughs> what, some, what you know the world oh
1: god here we go it's like coming home a little hammered and having to explain yourself to the wife um now a funny thing happened and then the recombobulator lab is obviously a well old machine we are well funded we've got this massive studio huge budgets personal assistants arranging guests 24 7. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah, we don't, and and tragically, <laughs> Leslie can't join us this this coming week oh, because um, okay, she, she is the national coach for the Japanese women's rugby team. She's had to go into a camp for a week and is not able oh. to join. Well, that's us. exciting. So really well, well, we'll, and we'll yeah. get
2: her when she's back ready. It's okay, it, uh, it, no, no big deal. Hey, can you say, I'm sorry, recombobulator lab listeners, in Japanese? Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's quite hard to say. Um, I I can't wait to hear it. How about um, maybe just I'm sorry, listeners, so you don't have to do the English thing in
1: the middle. Yeah. That was long. I, well that when the Japanese apologize they go full on. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> and you yeah, know yeah. the literal Moshiwakeku's yeah. IMASEN is literally I have no I have no excuses. You and I share some uh, an irritating common problem. So my maiden what name well my maiden name and I know guys having maiden names is a bit, you know, whatever, but I was Jason I was I was Jason Graham before I got married and I became Jason Graham. No. You're Christopher Dominic, yeah. we our names are problematic because they can be reversed. And the number of times before I got married that I was called Graham instead of Chase blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get called Dominic instead of Christopher? Oh, are you kidding? Me? Oh, really?
2: Oh, yeah. Dominic is first of all what everyone will call you on your sports teams, right? It's just for whatever reason that's the way it oh, is. I see. It's, you know, because plus Chris was a pretty common name, yeah. uh, you know, people my age. So you say Chris in a room, and a bunch of people say yeah, you know. So it doesn't work. So Dominic's a much much more rare name here, and so I just got called Dominic a lot, and other versions were Dom. Yep. Domo was another <laughs> one. Domo. There's this pretty good story of one of my best friends in the whole world. We were on the same soccer team, and we had this Argentinian soccer coach who was, he was like setting in one day, and he didn't really know what was going on, but he was just really intense, and he, he heard my friend say to me, hey, Domo, and he heard it as, hey, Dumbo. Oh. And so he's like, he's like, you're running laps, pal. Well, you're not calling people Dumbo. He's like, what? No, I was domo. And he's like, run laps. So like, you and he's like, yeah, you got laps. You got laps. It's funny. it's so funny. You have to run laps, Jason. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For you is probably popping off. Yeah. Old right? I. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, <laughs> hit, it, hit it, hit it! I want to yeah. see ten more laps out of you, Graham. <laughs> judging, judging off. That's right. yeah. Oh, oh
1: man! Gosh. All right, so another episode of the lab coming up today.
2: Yes, absolutely. And you know, we've got our education episode. I'm really excited about the interview that's coming up.
1: Yeah, that great interview with Dr. Michael Anderson, who's professor of education at Sydney University, the oldest university in Australia.
2: I, I bet you're not going to be surprised to learn that I've got a quiz for you. No. Um, okay. Shocker. Shocker. Yeah. Yeah, can well, I can I get the heads up? I want to study for these things. I'm Well, like to... okay. So, first of all, here's what I'm thinking. If you tell me in advance, Chris, I'm going to quiz you this time. Mm. I am not going to stop you. I I did terribly okay. uh, on the uh, but you know, I I'm, I'm happy to do terribly again. That's, that's okay. that's I'm, part, of, I'm, it's part of my service yeah. to humanity. <laughs> I'm ready to go. What's what are we doing? What are we Okay, for? this is on a col- this is a college quiz. You ready? Oh, okay. Not, not like you're not college stuff, but things about colleges. Okay? okay? Ready? What's the most literate city in america oh literate um okay so i guess that's not really college <laughs> no uh well it it's, a, it's be... like an education one yeah, yeah, but good.
1: anyway um, yeah, it's close uh, yeah yeah so it's going to be correlated with maybe university population i
2: don't know like it could be a small I'll give you a hint. college town i'll give you a hint one of our guests is from there oh i'm gonna oh yeah eugene oregon mm. Mm, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Really? Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fair enough. Yep. I'm yeah a- it it tends to v- it tends to kind of flip around between there and Washington D.C. Oh, and of Seattle. course. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. All right. Number two. What is the oldest English speaking university in the world or in America? In the world, English speaking is the the key term. Oxford. You are correct.
0: Oh! Oh, one out of nothing. Yeah, that was <laughs> <true>.
1: <laughs>
2: One, out of One, two. two. <laughs> All right, three. What is the oldest university in America? Harvard. Yes. <gasps> two out of three. Yeah, that oh yes. <laughs> would be 66.6%. Sorry. No, you're 0.666666. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was I was Right. That was a geeky moment right there. Okay, wh- uh, number four. What are the big three secret societies at Yale? Oh my gosh! Well, one of them was the
1: Skull Club, which was the one that Bush was a part of. Is that true? I'm making it, this up.
2: Yes, Skull- it's,
1: it's called Skull and, Bomb, Skull and but Bones. I'll give it to you. Okay. Uh, and the, two more. the other two was um, Gamified Delta Sorority Sisters. They were terrifying. And the third you one that I did. And the third one was <laughs> Delta Delta Delta, which was an incredible fraternity. Which was featured. In, no, no, me. no. It was featured in um, in Animal House, starring John Belushi, my favorite actor.
2: Okay, that's a beautiful movie. Okay, uh, no, it's Scroll and Key. Wow. And Wolf's Head. What
1: and what were
2: they secret societies? What did they do? Yeah. Come on, it's it's fun.
1: Is it? Okay, fair enough.
2: I don't know. I've never been in a secret society. Let's make one. I don't really get it at all. (laughs) Uh, Skull and bones, scroll and key, wolf's head. But, I mean, they sound cool. Yeah, they do. They do, they do. They do. Okay, number five. What is the oldest university in Europe? Oh, jeez.
1: Now, I think something in Germany might be older than something in England. I have no
2: idea. Um, hit me. The University of Bologna in really? Italy, which was founded in 1088, is the oldest university in Europe. Term "university" was coined at its creation. Oh, that's so cool! It is still considered a leader in European university systems. Notable alumni include Copernicus.
1: And they—they've got a bachelor's in in salami and other Italian meats, not just. Oh, Bologna. I knew
2: you were going to do that. Did you see what well, I? You had go? to go Italian. Joking. I did. I okay. Did. My ancestors are not. Oh. Religious.
1: How could Dominic
2: be Italian? Oh, is it? (laughs) Because it used to be Master Domenico. Master Domenico. Oh, that's what I'm going to call you. Come on, you don't know this? There's a bazillion people in America who have names that got changed at some point because no one could pronounce it, or because somebody picked the wrong side in the war, or... you know, whatever. You told me that at Henry's yeah. one night, I remember. So you, it's all coming back you, to me. You guys, have, you guys have a little more homogeneity going on, <laughs> don't you? We're all Irish and we're all convicts. Like you, you're, you're, the, thing, the thing that gets the most robbed with you guys is do you have an O in your name? Yeah, that's with right. a little, that's right. Is it 80 or 90% Irish? Yeah, it's like 90% Irish.
1: Well, should we go to the interview? Let's do it. This week, we are welcoming Dr. Michael Anderson, Professor of Education at the University of Sydney, a very old stuffy institution. I have coffee with Michael every week at And I have to endure his long soliloquies on the problems of the world. So we thought, why not inflict you all with him? Just kidding, he's amazing, Professor. Welcome,
2: welcome.
0: What what a fantastic opening, uh, (laughs) Jason. Thanks for having me, Jason and Chris. Can't wait for it to go downhill from here.
2: Oh, that's exactly how it goes, too. That's right. Well, it's great to meet you. I wanted to start with your recent book. I was just checking it out before we got together here, uh, Transforming Education.
0: Yeah, look, we've written two books, uh, one called, called Transforming Schools, one called Transforming Organizations, and we thought we should really reveal who Luke's father was in the third one. <laughs> we thought that we really needed to say something about kind of the deep structures in education. I suppose the argument in that book is, if you look at education and you think, what is actually possible with the things that we have in front of us and what are we actually doing? I suppose our argument is we are not anywhere near meeting potential in education, not even close.
2: Michael, I have come to believe that schools had perfected themselves in the last 10 years. So what, what's going on here, man? You got to help us out.
0: Well, Yeah, no, they had perfected themselves if you like steam trains. So, you know... (laughs) Don't hold back, okay, Michael? I want, I want to draw you out here. It, you are yeah, so yeah. backward
1: in coming forward. It's it's difficult to get a, a story here.
0: A lot of schools have been doing this weird thing where they've been perfecting the steam train for 25 years. And yeah, the whole school improvement movement, which is a big thing in education, talks about how we can tweak things, how we can just tighten things up. My argument is we've got to, got to really work with the raw materials we've got, which is fantastic. We've got amazing teachers. We've got kids, even though kids get a bad rap about being the Millennial generation and being lazy and hopeless. Daily, we see evidence that that is not so. How actually are we going to rethink what schools are for and what schools can be?
2: I was, I had this story that came into my head that I remember from years ago, and I think it might have been when your kids were going to the same school. Jason and I had our kids going to this school for a little while when they were very young. It was really shocking how many things that they taught. That when I asked about them, they seemed like amazing ideas on how to. teach teach a concept that I'd never seen before. And when I would ask the person who was in charge of everything where this comes from, she she would say to me, it's actually not new at all. It's just that the schools don't use it. For I'll just give you this quick example. When our kids were very young, like before they even had the ability to hold a pencil or a pen in their hand, they learned how to draw numbers by using their finger in sand on a cafeteria tray and then shaking it to clear it and then starting over. <laughs> it's not expensive. You know, you know that's not hard and yet it, it,
0: it just was amazing to me that's a fantastic example actually because there's a heap of research around how gesture helps kids learn in mathematics helps them learn in english in all sorts of places and yet because if, if you look at that on its face and you say oh the kids are just playing around with a bunch of sand you know and, and you take a fairly kind of ignorant approach to it well you'd say well that's a terrible thing to do they should be sitting behind desks and they should be really focusing on writing? Well, actually, there is a fantastic evidence that embodying learning makes a huge difference. We've had this idea that our brain and our bodies are disconnected and bodies can do nothing except transport our heads around. And yet there's huge potential learning when we embody it. And that's just something that uh, I know why that teaches at a loss, because actually there's so much evidence-based research around it, and yet it's just not what happens in schools or what happens in most schools. So absolutely, we need to be going back. Back to the things that work so in a sense what we're talking about isn't particularly progressive this stuff some of this stuff's been around for 150 200 years
1: just for some background michael chris and i between us have six kids who age from how old's me 21 20 almost 21 20, almost 21 down to my harper is nearly 16 and your second son michael is 16 15? yeah 16 yeah. so we've got this age range from 20 to 16 so as parents we've experienced education between the three of us we've got a u.s experience and an australian experience and obviously michael with deep academic research, Michael, my connection with Chris was through a mutual friend, but we did end up with our kids in the same school. And then this was when we gave our oldest son when he was three, the right to choose his own school. Now, as a Japanese scholar, I forced him to go to the Japanese school in Portland, and he lasted about a month. And he said, that's ridiculous. But then we drove (laughs) past, we saw this school. And this was a classic thing in America. So the big poster at the front was, "We, we are in school for an extra 120 days a year because they didn't take summer holidays. So already you're ahead of the pack because you've just You don't have this massive break. And I don't know what the research is, Michael, around that huge summer holiday and what the regression is like. I know as a student, I'm like, I forgot most of term four when I rolled into the next year. (laughs) Finn thrived in that school. I remember that example that you just said, Chris. The other one was um, how he counted. They taught counting by looking at frogs and the number of legs that frogs have. Mm -hmm. So frogs have four legs. So suddenly he could do multiplications like four, eight, 12, 16. And he just told this story the other day about applying what he learned when he was three or four to four-unit math. Maths, which is the highest level of maths in schools here in Australia, in New South Wales? Chris and he's just finished his final exams at school. But those oh those foundational things. At, I mean, I don't know if you called it the gulag. We called that school the gulag. Yeah,
0: I, I think. I mean, you've said some interesting things there, Jason. Surprisingly. So at one <laughs> of them is. He's, he's uh, having a good. Sorry, break. I'm. I'm just going to leave now. It's been great. Thanks very much, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. What what you've really described there is a connected curriculum. This is one of the things we argue in Transforming Education, that actually it makes no sense to siphon off baseball or cricket and in-class learning. You're learning as much on the cricket field or the baseball pitch as you actually are in the maths classroom.
1: It's, I'm interested in the, the strength of the current educational system. That regime is so strong and it's locked in. The idea of any kind of systemic change is hard to fathom. The four C's construct seems awesome. What, how do you drop that into a system? Was that a school-by-school bottom-up? Is it a top-down through the, the state? Like, how does it work?
0: We've got 50 schools now in our network since we published Transforming Schools in 2017. And typically the way it works is principals contact us all around, from all around the world, actually, and say, I want some of your Kool-Aid. I want some of what you're drinking. And we go in and we have a chat to them. Then we talk to the staff and we bring everyone on board. But it is school-by-school. School. The problem with systems is that they're run by political kind of they're run at political whims and the issue with transformation is it doesn't conform to a three or four year term it's it's a what it's a mindset like yeah. transformation is a mindset that you do over and over again and if we're if you're talking about the, a curriculum changing as the world changes you can't just stop still and go right we've published the curriculum we're fine now we'll just keep on trucking it's really about how we re- think about how the curriculum can shift and change and those 50 schools are now in a network with each each other, they support each other.
2: So I, I'm getting that some of what you're dealing with as a barrier to improvement is good old-fashioned change management stuff. It's just people get locked into their ways, and it's hard to change. Is, am I am I missing that?
0: Absolutely right. But that's one. I'd say that's you know fifteen percent. Yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. You know, people grieve for doing things the old ways. People are comfortable in their own, in the ways they've been doing things and don't like to change. But I I suppose that the challenge for us and the challenge for our education system is to ask the question, is it really okay for us to sit by and watch the education system become a stranded asset while our kids need to be equipped for pandemics, for, uh, you know, climate change, to deal with these really big, complex problems? Is it okay for us just to let the inertia wash over us?
2: The, the thing that I'm really interested in, Michael, is how this relates in some ways to broader issues around governance and democracy. Uh, and I'll, I'll just give you the quick setup on this. When I was in grad school, the, some of the research I did in the communication range was on how to try and figure out how to improve the persuasive speaking and persuasive writing of people. Because in America, at least, uh, we have this thing called the National Assessment of Educational Progress. And it, it does basically, it's just basically a report card on how we're doing in certain areas. And the lowest number we had was in persuasive writing specifically. And so, of course, I'm teaching persuasion. I'm a debate coach. And I'm thinking, wow, maybe there's a better way to do this. And and I just went and caught hobbled together a, basically an idea that I had from reading a bunch of other articles about what appears to be working from scientific experiments, created my own experiment and got an effect that I was really impressed with. And of course, that's as far as that went. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, well, I figured it. I tie in some of my research that the need for democracies to be able to have educated citizens that know how to consume arguments, right? Like claims backed by evidence and be able to Repeat them back to other people and debate them and things like that, and it's really hard when your scores on informational communication are really high, but persuasive communication is really bad. So throwing that big pile in front of you, do do you guys ever, uh, you know, consider the the impact on democracy and how this all ties to the bigger picture? There,
0: absolutely. John Dewey, who was kind of a pioneer of education research, spoke you know 120, 130 years ago about this. That's how old some of our approaches are. That's why wow. you know when people go on! Oh, you're so progressive we're, we're not actually but we're, we're just talking about <laughs> ideas that have been around forever the issue is if you don't have an education system that thinks about more than cognition so more than how we do maths and how we do english and how we do all that but that doesn't have an explicit focus on the intrapersonal and the interpersonal and what what i mean by that is in terms of intrapersonal is focus grit curiosity those kinds of things and in terms of interpersonal what you were talking about there influence which is persuasion sits with empathy and teamwork
2: hey Jason do you ever find yourself craving something all the time
0: I am craving an adult beverage one
2: that's clean refreshing relaxing oh Bondi mate absolutely Jason you always do this to me. I'm not looking to go for a surf or a swim. I don't need a beach. I need a drink.
1: Chris, an O bondi is a cocktail made with sparkling water, a lime wedge to keep off the scurvy, and most importantly, vodka roe. Proudly Australian, vodka row is a triple distilled vodka that's charcoal filtered for a cleaner, smoother taste. It's won awards, and it's the best selling vodka in Australia.
2: You wouldn't happen to uh, have one of those handy, would you? <laughs> I've got one right here. Did you just pass that through the internet? Boom! Oh my, that is fantastic. Sign me up. Get the clean, refreshing taste of Wanda Beach
1: with vodka roll. So, Professor, I wanted to circle back to one thing, which was of the 50 schools that are, have adopted the 4 C's approach, where are they located geographically globally?
0: Mainly in Australia at the moment, although Singapore, Hong Kong, in the near future, we think, and New Zealand. We
2: like to debunk myths on this show, Michael. So I was just wanted to throw it at you. What do you think? Is there something about education generally, or maybe the university systems or anything like, where you think, you know, I'd like to clear this up once and for all. Let's go. What do you got? Testing. I'd love to <laughs> clear
0: up testing. Oh, really? Okay. So, think, okay. All right. Uh, Here we go. Uh, so, uh, have we got four hours left? And So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I can always add it. In our education systems in the US and Australia have been doing these big testing regimes and the UK, all over the Western world, been doing these big testing regimes to show which school is better than which other school, which kid is better than which other kid on mm-hmm. about 10% of what they learn at school. Maybe at the top side 25%, but not a hundred percent, not near a hundred percent. And so we st- we have set up this system that makes kids kind of only only 25% of what they possibly could be. So their potential is kind of much broader than what we test. And yet we, we to the creative kids, we say, oh, we can't test creativity. It's too hard. To the kids who are great at collaboration, we say, oh, we can't test collaboration. It's too hard. It's a nonsense. We, we actually can if we cared about it. <laughs> I mean, we 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 set up assessments for these things every day.
2: But don't we care about it? I mean,
0: th- those things are pretty powerful. Of course, they're powerful. But do we test them at schools? Do we? Uh, is your university entrance based on how well you can collaborate? And yet, when you when you're employing someone, Chris or Jason, you're looking for how well they can collaborate. So yeah. the testing regimes that we've got are, are kind of all so reductive of what kids can do and what kids can be. We actually have the the wit and the will, if we did have the wit and the will, sorry, we could actually kind of assess for a broad range of things. And the other thing we could do is actually use assessment for learning rather than saying, oh, well, you know, it looks like Jason wasn't particularly good at literacy in year three because we get the results, obviously six months later, we never get them on time. It'd be actually good to go back and work with Jason on the bits where he wasn't doing so well. So assessment actually linked to a kid's learning. Rather than some bizarre league table that leaves kids anxious and then some of them broken at the end of it. I mean, I yeah. think it's a in terms of the great handbrakes on educational possibility. Testing in the way that we've been doing it in this mega competitive way has has really been diminishing us as a community, as a society, and certainly diminishing schools. We can do much better. And testing do, and the myth is that testing actually helps learning. It's actually not the case. Assessment helps learning assessment that's well-placed, well-developed, and broad, but not the kind of test we've got at the moment. I'm
2: officially on your diesel train. I'm off the, I'm off the steam train. I'm on my diesel train. Uh, really, that's very powerful stuff. You know, Jason and I were just talking the other day about how strange it is that communication, even 101 or psychology 101, really aren't taught until you get to college. And everybody has to everybody has to understand behavior and everyone has to communicate. And I just think it's fascinating to me that, that we're so locked into reading and writing and arithmetic all the time. So
0: if, if I could redesign the school system, which I'm giving it a red hot go as you can um, yeah let it, let it go Yeah, at least in my ivory tower I would be actually teaching something that looked a bit like navigating it Was called something like navigating because actually hmm. what we do our whole lives is navigate systems and something like critical reflection that we talk about a lot in transforming schools is the power to navigate power, that, sorry that gives, gives us the capability to navigate power and I think something, an approach like that where to understand systems and navigating those systems would be really useful.
2: Absolutely. that's That mm. sounds very intriguing. We had a debate
0: about democracy
1: and Australia's compulsory voting system recently, and I was wondering if you're a fan or um, any other perspectives you might have on what a healthy democracy looks like, given that some of these countries, America, lost theirs recently. <laughs> it was just a blip. <laughs>
0: Two things on that. I'm astounded given all of the hours we've spent sitting around talking over coffee that we haven't actually touched on uh, my hobby horse, which is compulsory voting. (laughs) So I think compulsory voting is fabulous. I think it is a fantastic uh, way of helping everybody take responsibility for the government that they end up with.
2: Jason, you guys are two peas in a pod.
1: I know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're brothers. We're brothers from other mothers. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Because seriously, why should we be letting people opt out of a democratic system? We should be, we don't let people opt out of other things. Like, you know, you can't drive a motor car without a license. You can't do a bunch of things without having to kind of participate and have having to be registered and showing some sort of ability to engage. Why should democracy, our most valuable most precious thing be kind of set aside in that discussion. I, I think compulsory voting is amazing. And the other thing in Australia, voting uh, is compulsory, but actually voting for someone isn't compulsory. You can go in and say, I don't want to vote for anyone, but the actual act of turning up and doing it is compulsory. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's fabulous. And I've
2: heard great things about your sausage sizzles. So. Yeah. So- yeah. the
0: democracy sausages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs>
2: they do call the process of democracy like watching the sausage. yeah, that's,
0: that's right. right.
1: Yeah, right. Chris is quite a professional. Now, let's talk about small goods and sausages.
2: <laughs> yes, let's, let's, yeah. you didn't know that you were going to have to weigh in on that.
0: <laughs> I'm happy to. As you can hear, I'm happy to give you an opinion about pretty much anything. Everything. <laughs> Ask me Fantastic. about something. Yeah,
2: you know, actually, this, this is all very close to my heart. I, I am very excited about the work that you are doing, and I, I'm looking forward to following what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's yeah, been well, a great
2: thanks. conversation. I,
0: I mean, I suppose to anybody who's listening and is interested, really happy to continue the conversation. We've got a website, which is 4CTransformativeLearning.org, where you can see more about what we're doing. Uh, the book will be out in May. There'll be a – I might even invite you and Jason to the launch. might be a bit of a stretch, Chris, but Jason will turn yeah. up for a free glass of wine, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, but it's, uh, I mean, it's an amazing privilege to be working with such uh, great people in schools. I mean, if you think about the potential, it's just heartbreaking that we're not doing better in education.
2: Well, we're rooting for you, Michael, and we look forward to when that book's coming out.
0: You know that means something different in Australia, don't you?
2: (laughs) yeah you know we've had moments like that uh, on the show yeah yeah Yeah.
0: what 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 should i have
2: said what should i have said
0: uh cheering backing you cheering for you Yeah. yeah
2: yeah Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's. It's not the. Last, it's not going to be the last time either, Michael. So there you go. Thank you. Thank you for helping out there.
0: I'll get. I'll no, get not better not at all. All right. Well,
2: thank you for joining us, Michael. We really appreciate it. It was great meeting
0: you too. Thanks for having me. It was great to have a chat. Thanks, Professor. Speak to you soon. Wow! What an interview.
2: Oh my gosh, that was really fun. I I didn't realize that there was so much to what he is working on.
1: It really is. You know, it's like it's systems thinking. It's, you know, it's not education. It's just sitting in a classroom, learning stuff, and then you finish. Like,
2: it's a a complete, it's a thing. It's a huge. I could imagine it applying to a lot of different things, not just education. It it just seems like, you know, a smarter way to live. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And I think your point was really interesting about applying all, you know, the stuff that we don't actually learn at school, some basic communication, persuasion, that sort of thing, which... Or, or, um, you know, Michael talked about, um, you know, collaboration and teamwork, which I think at university, Mm -hmm. we get thrown into all this teamwork and we're like, oh, teamwork. But that's really what so much of work life is about afterwards. But at school level, it's quite rare.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's funny, too, because when you and I talk about business and personnel and hiring and things like that, often we are talking about the things that he's talking about. We're saying, hmm, I mean, you can hire for soft skills and teach skills. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's a lot harder to teach somebody who isn't as good at reading a room, for example, or knowing how to be appropriate in certain situations or getting up on time. Right. I mean, those are things that probably matter a, a heck of a lot more. And they, you know. I completely agree. And I think it's funny that in English we talk about soft skills and it's sort of
1: derogatory in a way. It's like. Right.
2: Right. Like it's not as important.
1: And yet they're the hardest. If you don't have them as an adult, you are eminently less employable. And I think you and I have both talked in the past about people we have hired or maybe fired. And it's like, yep, just attitudinally. Just couldn't get there. He was he or she was the smartest person in the room, but the attitude, the energy, the lack of EQ meant that we just couldn't keep them on. It's, yeah.
2: it's very true. Very, yeah. very true. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, great talking with you this week, my man. I just want to thank all of our listeners for being so great at supporting us. We're having so much fun, and we're so happy that you keep tuning in and, and listening to us and passing us along to your friends and giving us five-star reviews. Yes,
1: from me too. Thank you so much for all your support. We really appreciate it, and we'll uh, be back with a new show next week.
2: That's right. All right. See you, everybody. See you.
1: Thank you for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Grandma. Catch you next time.